0: Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to Stable Connections, the podcast. Today's episode is with Patrick King, and he talks to us about why he feels trailer loading is a skill, not a task, wintering in Portugal, and some zoo animals he was asked to help train. Hope you enjoy. Stable Connections is sponsored by Bay Mare Designs. Bay Mare Designs is a full-service branding and web design studio built for equestrian-owned businesses. Alicia combines her experiences within the design space and her passion for the horse world to create stunning, strategic designs that help you grow your small business. Learn more about how you can attract your dream clients through branding and web design. She services clients nationwide. Please visit www.baymaredesign.com and receive 10% off when you mention Stable Connections, the podcast. Stable Connections is sponsored by Tracy Rainwaters. Dr. Tracy Rainwaters is a doctor of chiropractic specializing in whole being healing for horse and rider. Dr. Rainwaters combines her chiropractic knowledge with animal communication and shamanic energy healing to provide a holistic framework for horses and their humans to find harmony within themselves and with one another. Dr. Rainwaters offers master classes, online courses, and workshops that focus on developing our understanding of the equine physical body, breath work, animal communication, and intuition development. If you're interested in how a whole being approach to healing can help you or your horse, please visit Dr. Tracy Rainwaters' website at www.tracyrainwaters.com.
1: you from? Where am I from? I'm currently from and hopefully forever now from Virginia. Cool. Near Lexington, Virginia.
0: And you were not born there it sounds like.
1: I was not. No, I was born uh, in Western Pennsylvania and uh, just as luck would have it I feel really connected to kind of the Blue Ridge Mountains and so we just happen to sit our property sits right at the edge of the Blue Ridge Mountains.
0: Awesome and when did horses come into your life?
1: Really early on as a young kid I was, uh, what's the expression, an army brat. Okay. Um, I lived in Pennsylvania for a little while, and then I had a stepfather that got transferred in the service to Germany. So I lived in Germany for a few years as a kid. I moved back at nine, and moved with my father and stepmother. My stepmother had Arabians, and that's that's when horses got got into my life there at about nine years old, and it just grew from there. So we had Arabians, we had quarter horses, we had paint horses and mini horses, and all the things. So I got exposed to a lot.
0: Cool and did you have any like structured riding time or it was just kind of free-for-all?
1: I got involved into a local horse show organization, a couple local organizations, and then a 4-H program. So that provided, I don't know necessarily so much structure as far as the educational side of things, as far as like riding lessons, but structure as far as the goals. And that was really good. I didn't have too much access to instructors where I was and just with the way life was at that point. But having seeing the tasks seeing the goals there that really helped to shape things for me
0: and did you feel a connection more to one breed than the other because you kind of got exposed to quite a few in the beginning it sounds like
1: yeah um no not really you know and so i've actually since i've worked with so many breeds of horses very early stages of training i would have Lipizzans and paints and thoroughbreds and Morgans and you know just kind of
0: ones th- you couldn't tell what they were. Yeah, <laughs> ones
1: you weren't sure the collector's edition. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and no, I would. I can't say that I've ever been necessarily really drawn to one as like that's the favorite breed. I currently I ride more Lusitanos and Andalusians <gasps> than anything else because I spend a lot of winter time in Spain and Portugal.
0: When did dressage officially come into your life?
1: Oh boy, when was I, when was I drawn to the dark side? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it was a lot of hunt seat and Western in my early career, and the halters and the showmanships, and actually I drove some horses and things like that. Dressage more formally came into my life. As I had established a business starting Young Horses Under Saddle, I had clients that would bring their young dressage hopeful right their dressage prospects and then they would frequently have me ride with their instructors because they were a little anxious about taking their young horses out to their first clinic Mm -hmm. setting and that sort of thing so that's where dressage really started to come into what I was playing with and what I was doing and uh, it was fantastic and there was even several young horses that I was starting for dressage barn so I would go to them uh, and work several horses at one time and I'd be Putting a first ride on a young horse while somebody else is having a lesson in the same arena and that sort of thing so it was a it was a lot of it was a comfortable setting and that was really great it wasn't one of those kind of intimidating settings you know that's really i'm gonna say stuffy i don't mean to sound offensive to anybody but I think everybody listening probably will know what I mean by that. It was a very welcoming, very open, very uh, fluid kind of an environment there. So it was fun to be starting young horses while people are having lessons or schooling other horses things like that. I'd be bouncing off the wall and they'd be working on (laughs) flying changes. I was doing changes too and we were flying but it wasn't the same thing. Not
0: as graceful.
1: Exactly, exactly. But but it was really great because that was when I, you know, got more closely involved with it. I got to see more where is it actually heading right and I think that you know I've started several thousand young horses under saddle now and the more you know about where they're headed I think the better you do at starting them and really preparing them for these are the conversations that are going to be had not that you're going to have those specific conversations at that stage but you're going to be able to better prepare them to be capable of having those conversations
0: yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of it is the preparation and the understanding.
1: A hundred percent. Yeah, you can set the stage. You yeah, know.
0: that yeah. makes sense. And when in your trajectory did you feel that horses were going to be kind of like your forefront for like career path kind of thing?
1: That was a total accident mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. I had the intention of going off to college, getting a business degree, and becoming a state police officer. Okay. I was hopeful that I would get put into a mounted unit, but that was my aim. Horses were were not a thing necessarily at that point in my thought process. So I was going to college, and I was paying my way through college uh, by teaching riding lessons. And then it occurred to me that I was making about the same as what I would first year coming out of schooling for that and nobody wanted to shoot at me. So, the horses were really, it was kind of an accidental thing, you know? And and prior to that, I would be asked to catch ride and warm horses up for other folks at horse shows. You know, somebody's trainer was maybe running late or not able to make it. and So can you warm my horse up for me and that sort of thing? So kind of the catch rides there. And it was really helpful for me from a learning perspective too, you know? Because I got to play with several horses that I didn't know and here I am setting them up for you know whatever class they're competing in or whatever. So it, it was very, I would say, organic and accidental. You know, it wasn't something I went into planning, but going and schooling for business and business management and things like that has actually been really helpful for me being self enslaved. I mean, (laughs) self-employed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Having a business degree definitely, or even just business classes definitely helps Mm -hmm. because you are self-employed and you need that. I think that that's in the horse world that's lacking a bit with some people's businesses. It
1: really is. People in the, you hear people say it all the time, like, I don't like people. So I'm going to be a horse trainer. Well, that's a terrible decision, because you're actually working with more people than you believe that you will be. Mm-hmm. right? The understanding and the application of business principles is really important for, for trainers, for clinicians, for, you know, barn managers, all body of that workers, stuff. Body, all body, of yeah, that, yeah, I mean, it, it, people within horses involved in so many of the different facets of it, we see it all the time. People will struggle if they don't understand those, I mean, people will struggle regardless, mm-hmm. but if they don't understand those business practices, it makes it a lot harder.
0: Definitely. Why do you think people chose you to you know, start their horses? Or to, I know you, you mentioned that they wanted you to ride because they were a little bit nervous in clinics or different things like that, but they could have chosen other people. So why do you feel like they chose you?
1: That's a really good question. <laughs> actually. Why do I think they chose me? Um, Well, to begin with, I believe in the area where I was in Western Pennsylvania. Starting out as a young trainer, I didn't have a facility to work out of so I traveled to everyone else's facilities and so very quickly within a two-hour radius my name grew as being the guy that will come to your backyard and start your horse under saddle. And then I began expanding on to that, growing in the radius and going to specific barns and starting horses for other trainers that had horses in their programs that they needed to have started. And worked a lot of problem horses, prob, you know, air quotes on problem horses. Trailer loading became something that I became really popular at helping with. Uh, and it's still actually one of my favorite things to help horses with and for that I would travel up to like six hours away from kind of central base there and I think it just was one of those things where I was out there a lot you know I was a name that was was coming up very frequently and we talk about or some people ask about you know have you failed any horses have you whatever and they're There have been a couple that haven't come out exactly the way that we would hope because of whatever their learning experience was or things like that but through the number, the sheer number of horses that I was working with, it was pretty well known that I could help get one started, help get them really confident with everything that they were asked to do in the foundation side of things and in fairly short order you know, uh, and not because they were rushed, but because there was a lot of clarity there. When you're starting a young horse under saddle, you can actually get quite a bit accomplished in a very short time, so long as the clarity is there. And so long as you're not actually chasing the clock. If you try to chase the clock, you're gonna rush them. But if you focus just on the understanding and the confidence, the education comes much sooner, much quicker. And I also became fairly well known for the horse being safe enough for anybody to climb on because the horses themselves were so confident with the tasks that they were being asked to do and
0: they felt safe themselves
1: they felt yeah. safe within themselves inside themselves and they were they were confident learners and that's a piece that I'm to this day I preach that constantly that our number one job is to help the horse be confident as a learner And as a trainer, our number one job to our students, whether they're four-legged or two-legged, our number one job is to help them be competent learners. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Yeah. I think that's a great way to be. We all just want to be safe. That's it? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Absolutely. And we want to feel okay trying, right? And if, if you're not okay trying, if you don't feel safe trying to answer a question, if you're afraid of getting the answer wrong, you're not in the right learning space anyway. Yeah. And things fall apart really fast when you're in that headspace.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Why is trailer loading one of your favorite things to work on?
1: Because everything comes out with trailer loading. Every, it, on the people and the horses. It's You watch it, it, it's like this little emotional implosion that some people will go through because trailer loading just has this thing where it brings out it's like an exorcism it just brings out all the demons yeah. you know right to the surface and uh, there's
0: a lot of accidents that either have happened or people are scared of being in this box with this horse or you know absolutely. all of the things yeah I absolutely
1: yeah yeah and and it just uh, fairly early on i i got exposed to some ideas for trailer loading that just really helped to set the horse up to be open and, again, confident, right? Confidence is is such a huge thing there. But you see so many people rush and scramble and stare at their watches and, you know. force the horse in. Force the horse in, absolutely. And I can't think of any horse that I've not been successful helping to load in the trailer. Sometimes it would take a couple sessions to get them really good, depending on, you know, past traumas and different Mm -hmm. things like that. But I, I had someone ask me recently working with one to load on the toilet they said how can you be so damn patient with it you know and, and I mean I, I said I don't know how long have we been here five minutes you know and maybe it was 20 minutes I don't like time to me stands to it becomes almost a meditation for me where your sense of time and space is gone and I love that too I feel like that feeling itself even can be addicting but I said you know it, it, my first response was it has nothing to do with patience and then I thought about it a little bit more and I said, you know, when you're absolutely certain of the outcome, you can afford to be patient with the process hmm. right? mm-hmm. because you don't even think about it as patience. You just know that's going to work. That's mm-hmm. going to happen. This is where we're going to go with that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I like that. And the horse isn't looking like, oh my God, we've been here for 10 minutes right now. So yeah, you're kind exactly. of putting yourself in a bit in their shoes of like doesn't matter how long it's gonna take like this is ideally what we'd like to accomplish and mm-hmm. then just kind of go from there yep. yeah I think that too I mean a lot of trailer loading people do for preparation of fires or preparation for this or mm-hmm. you know and with that people are on a crunch
1: exactly exactly yeah. and I think of it a lot of times too is trailer loading is a skill not a task a task is something that you just you check off the list you get it done and I think people think of it that way. You know, we gotta get on the trailer to go to the show. We gotta get on the trailer to evacuate. We gotta get on the trailer to go to the vet. We gotta, whatever. But it's a skill, not a task. It's something that you can continuously get better. And I, I talk to people about that all the time. Like, you know, what would be your ideal 10 if you were scoring it from zero to 10? Like, what would that look like? And that's different for everybody, you know? But I think people just, you know, get fixed and stuck into this idea of it being A task to check off rather than a skill to develop.
0: Yeah well and with trailer loading like they do it, some horses do it obviously more consistently than others. Some Mm -hmm. horses are on a property for five years and then move or 20 years and then don't ever have to move but Mm -hmm. ideally having that as a skill to have so Mm -hmm. that if and when they do they just consistently can. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. And when did you start officially kind of clinicking once you passed your six-hour range of people?
1: Uh, I think I taught my first clinic. I was 18 years old.
0: Wow. Cool. And where was it? It
1: was in a town called Ford City, Pennsylvania. It was at a a showgrounds, actually, that I grew up showing horses at. It was a groundwork clinic we did.
0: Cool. And how did you feel going into that?
1: Completely unprepared.
0: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Did someone else set it up for you? Like, what was kind of... Uh,
1: Actually, it was several clients that I had been working with. They wanted to all kind of come together and and do it as a get-together sort of a thing. Looking back on it now, it's, it's kind of funny to think. I haven't thought about that clinic for so long. Yeah, I had my horse with me and and kind of showed what what we were doing and then we worked with each person's horse together as a group you know everybody did their own thing and it was a fun little clinic it's changed a lot oh my goodness the, the way you, you know teach? yeah the way that i teach the way that uh the exercises get set up or the you know what we do you know what we do has changed 22 years of teaching clinics now Cool. I would feel bad if it didn't change, right? If that's it didn't grow from there. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. If 22 years go by and you're doing the, I mean, not that that's a bad thing, but if you're doing <laughs> the exact same If
1: you're doing thing, it the exact same way. Yeah. Mm, yeah, exactly.
0: What would you say was the hardest thing, growing your business and, you know, doing the clinics and all of that, what was kind of the hardest thing for you? Uh,
1: the time management. Managing the business, that's that's the hardest. I, I would say it's still the hardest thing. And it's, it's something that I think we all work at constantly, the time management. It's the, you know, being a one-man band kind of an idea and and some clinicians some trainers some people in the horse industry obviously they have partners helping them and things like that but when it comes down to the scheduling and the booking and all that stuff I manage all of that even down to the writing the marketing emails and all of that stuff it's the being able to allot the time and having I won't say the commitment because, of course, we know that you have to do it, right? And uh, the, the discipline to sit down and do that and the focus to sit down and do that, I think, is, is actually pretty easy when you absolutely know that, you know, there's nobody to pass the buck to, right? It's like it, it's got to stop right there with you. It starts and stops with you. But it's the finding that time consistently to yeah. do that.
0: And like the priority list if you are a one-man show, knowing okay this marketing before this clinic or this Mm -hmm. event needs to happen by January 1st and so to start getting
1: it yeah the prioritization of that is really essential and honestly it was not something at least in my experience it wasn't something that you could go into it knowing the priority list for it it took me a good 10 years to really understand the marketing of a clinic and the you know how far ahead do we need to know about these things and and honestly at that point my clinics for the most part run themselves now because I've also built enough of a a reputation following that sort of thing but there is still you know when you're doing special events when you're promoting your podcasts and things like that you know we want to do that it's about figuring out the timing of when people are going to see it the most, you know, timing for posts on social media and different That's things changing, like
0: changing like daily for some it, reason. <laughs> it
1: really does. Yeah, it really does. And that definitely keeps it interesting, you know, but it also makes it something that you do have to be paying attention to. You have to have your finger on the pulse of those things. And the prioritization because of that changes from time to time. And, you know, we all know tax season priorities change, you know, and you got to figure those things out. And then, you know, holiday seasons, well, priorities change when those things come around, right? So there's the constant fluctuation. And then for me, I, like I mentioned, I winter in Spain and Portugal. So taking three months off and going there, mostly because I'm a princess and I like to get out of the cold weather. Mm -hmm. um, But no, the truth is I get to be a student for three months out of the year when I do that, which is to me a really important thing. That's a priority to me is being a student. But it's when that comes up, it's okay, now I've got to, not only prioritize what's currently happening but I've got to prioritize what's going to happen when I'm not around and how can I plan for those things so that it's smooth sailing basically. Yes you can
0: come back and it's not a shit show. Yes
1: (laughs) shit show is exactly what I've returned to a few times. (laughs) That's
0: learned hopefully every (laughs) time. That's
1: it exactly. Yeah. Yeah
0: and tell me about your experience in Portugal and you know what you do out
1: there when you are a student, Mm,
0: Yeah. who you follow, maybe,
1: too? Okay, yeah, absolutely. So uh, that all started with a friend of mine uh, who was a a very good friend, teacher, Mark Russell. He was a dressage clinician. He studied with Nuno Oliveira for several years and he used to tell me that he really wanted to go back. He wanted to go back to Portugal and he passed away and he he had told me if he would do it, this was uh, you know he wanted to go and, and spend time with Luis valenza and when he passed that just became you know i just i don't know it's something that the the eternal student in me said well that's what we need to do and looked into it and you know at first thinking oh it's you know that seems like a big thing that you know we wouldn't be able to take time off to do that or organize that or whatever and then it, it became more of a reality when we thought about the idea of we could actually have other students come with us. We could set this up as like educational riding vacation kind of thing. Is
0: this
1: Sophia Valencia? Sophia Valenzas, yeah. I had
0: her on my podcast a while ago. She no kidding. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And so yeah. she talked a little bit about, I mean, that's kind of what they've turned it into. That's
1: what they've turned it into. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So when I reached out to them and basically said, hey, I'd, I would love to come out and ride with you. You know, what's your programs about and that sort of thing. And, and Sophia sent information and I'm like, well, could, we could actually take students over there and this this can be a thing and we can go tour around and we can you know do the whole be a tourist and ride and learn and all of that stuff and that was that was really great and then Senor Luis orchestrated for me to go to the Royal School in Spain in Jerez and learn as a student there as a short-term student
0: how long ago was
1: that Uh this was three it was pre-covid So uh, the opportunity to go to Spain was the the first time was the first year before COVID.
0: Okay, so Uh, pretty recent.
1: Fairly recent for that one, yeah, absolutely. I think we've gone Four years, maybe to uh, Portugal. Prior to that, and so I'm really excited to be going back again this year. Now that everything's open back not up since again, COVID? exactly. Okay. It's exciting to be able to go there, and the countdown is on. I have two <laughs> groups of students going to Portugal, and two groups also going to Spain. To be offered the opportunity to take groups of students to ride the Royal School in Spain is kind of a big deal. I'm so excited for, selfishly for me. For the opportunity to continue learning because that's the thing that I am the most passionate about is my own learning. But even in addition to that, the second most exciting thing for me in that is that I can bring students and friends to learn also and to get the feelings that we're aiming for with our own horses. You know, one of the most challenging things with horses of any discipline is when you're trying to accomplish something that you haven't necessarily even felt. Mm -hmm. You're trying, as Ray Hunt used to tell us, you're doing something you never did to get something you never had. So it's easy to do too much, or do too little, or start too late, or finish you have no idea, right? And so the opportunity to ride on these schoolmasters that will not just You push the button, they do the thing. Mm -hmm. They're going to make you earn it, but they're going to make you earn it and they're going to do it consistently for you so that you can learn where do I need to be? What do I need to do? How do I need to feel this? That is priceless. And that I feel like that can jumpstart someone's learning light years ahead, you know, because now they know, right? They're not guessing.
0: No, they know exactly what it feels like and Mm -hmm. what it should
1: feel like. Exactly.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Do your students sometimes when they go with you end up coming home with horses?
1: That has happened. Yeah. That has happened. I do have a student who's going with me to Spain this time who had gone with me to Portugal and she came back with two horses.
0: Mm. Did you ever have any jobs that weren't horse related?
1: I actually, whenever I was young, uh, my father was a coal miner but also worked a second job as a mason. So sidewalks and foundations and fireplaces and retaining walls and things like that. So actually from the time I was nine, I'd been carrying bricks and blocks and pouring sidewalks and hmm. building houses and that sort of thing. Did that and uh, and actually had a stint for a little while as uh, an animal trainer for a couple zoos. How did you
0: get that job?
1: Actually um, a client of mine who worked as a feeder at the zoo had talked to the owner of this one and he said that he was looking for somebody to train camels uh, to Did ride. What? Oh okay. Train camels to ride. They wanted to give rides for the zoos and he said but you know we can't find any camel trainers <laughs> and her comment at the time was something like well I know somebody who'll try <laughs> and and that's actually what what got me the. She wasn't wrong. You know, she wasn't wrong. She wasn't wrong so the owner called me and he said um, so would you be willing to come in and, and try this? I said well I've ridden one before, but I haven't trained it. You did, you ride know? One. I had ridden That's one yet, like a county fair, you know, led around or something well, like the that. County like
0: fairs a... here don't have a camel to ride. No, it's like mini ponies for the little kids.
1: Oh well, you need I've to get camel rides. Yeah, yeah. I've never
0: ridden a camel yet.
1: No, no. Oh, you got to make it happen. It's super fun. But I said, well, you know, I'll give it a try. I'll give it a go, and and I spent a couple weeks with the first camel, just working on ground skills, like basic skills that we would do with the horses, yep. because I thought, you know, somebody's got to. Lead somebody around on these camels. They've got to be safe to lead mm-hmm. and things like that.
0: Is there a saddle?
1: There is a specialized saddle for camels. just has a strap to hold? Uh, is it one
0: hump or two humps? Well yes. Both.
1: And actually the <laughs> first camel that I worked with was a hybrid of both. Uh, half a hump? Uh, she had one big long hump. She was so the the two hump camels are the Bactrians, the one hump are so the Dromedaries and when you crossbreed them they refer to it as a Thule. Uh, I'm not sure where that word comes from. Okay. But it's if you can imagine the span of both humps being one large full hump.
0: Those are the ideal ones to ride because it's wider probably.
1: Right. Uh no, I wouldn't say so. Okay. It's probably the Bactrian camels are easier to sit because you sit down in the middle.
0: Oh, you don't sit on the hump you sit. No, nope,
1: you uh, sit down in the middle. The no, on the Bactrians you do sit on the top.
0: Okay. Mhm.
1: She was a lot of fun. Anna was her name actually. And I joke sometimes it was kind of like a ray hunt style colt starting Mm. for camels. Got her comfortable with the saddle. Got her comfortable with me you know jumping around her and and kind of hanging on her leaning on her and she would lay down. I had her to the point where she would lay down on request and I could you know sit on her from the ground and all that stuff and then it was a matter of while she was down there I asked her to stand up and away we rode. It wasn't quite that simple. (laughs) There was a little bit of bouncing involved but It didn't take very long for me to figure out that it's actually a fairly consistent, easy process. Not much unlike starting a young horse under saddle. So I got to where I think I started about half a dozen camels under saddle. And at the time, there was also other animals there that needed interacted with. I've worked with uh, a couple lion cubs that were cubs to begin with, and I worked with them for a couple of years, so they became actual lions. That's a Um, new
0: thing because it's a predator now.
1: It's a totally different... Totally different thought process, right? Worked with some bears. Trained a bear, a young adolescent bear that ended up going on to a a life with a movie animal company down in, uh, I believe in Florida. And you know, got the alligators need to move from one place to the next, and who's gonna do that? Call Patrick, he'll do it, he's nuts. He's like, hey Mikey, give it to Mikey, he'll try anything. (laughs) Did
0: you have any fear involved with any of them?
1: No. Hmm. No, had awareness, you know, but not fear. No, not fear. Alligators
0: are my worst fear. Really? Yes, 100%. I am terrified of crocodiles and alligators because they're fast on land and in water, which is terrifying. This is
1: true enough. And, like,
0: you can't, in my, I've never actually interacted with one, but, like, you can't read what they're thinking. I feel like they don't have a lot of facial. You
1: can more than you would believe, and that was actually, that was a really big surprise to me. So... I joked, we had three pretty good-sized alligators, and I would go in and clear the swamp, you know, do whatever, and if they needed moved around, or things needed rearranged in the habitat, and I would go in, and they all three had different personalities, these three that were in there. Of course, I, being a smart aleck, named them belts, boots, and briefcase. Um, That's
0: horrible.
1: But... um, (laughs) but they were the the bigger male was actually really comical because he would follow me around everywhere I went and just hang out.
0: Biggest fear of mine. That would be terrifying. (laughs) Right? I
1: think you could you could hear the Jaws music you know but but he was really funny. I started taking like a toilet bowl scrub brush in with me and I would brush his teeth and scrub him under his legs under his little armpits and things like that and he would follow me around and hang out and basically ask to be groomed that way. It was really interesting. And uh, you know, up until then, I guess, you know, I hadn't thought much about them having much personality or things like that, but of course, why not, right? Why wouldn't they? They're all individual people.
0: I think they would just, for me, I could picture, I mean, I feel like all animals have personalities, Mm -hmm. but similar, like, Chickens have a lot of personality, but I feel like I can't read them at first, or like birds in general. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of like movement The facial expressions, mm-hmm. whereas like a dog can like smile and can wink at you and do different things with its face. Like, I, yeah, like crocodile and alligator.
1: Dude, you've ne- like, you've not yet been winked at by an alligator.
0: No, <laughs> no, I'm not yet. But I'm in California where we don't have
1: those over here. There Other you go. Than a zoo. Other than in the zoo. Yeah, yeah so. absolutely.
0: Interesting. <laughs> so why did that job end up stopping? of uh, time. Yeah.
1: Honestly, it was something that I was I was playing with on the side of things, and I loved it. I I really did. I loved it. But the horses, uh, the horses are a priority. The horses take priority, and I still go back and visit that zoo, and I I love it. I enjoy it, and. I would go back to it in a heartbeat if the horse thing didn't work out, but I think I'm fairly committed at this point. Yeah. Twenty some years into it. I think I'm gonna be here for a little while. I hope Cool to I'm have be-
0: that on the back burner of like, Well <laughs> I can go train right. some more alligators if When I really in need doubt, to. go ride
1: camels. Uh. <laughs> yeah.
0: Train them Yeah, I don't know many people that have trained a camel to be ridden, so
1: Well cool. fun fact there's very few of us in the in the US actually. Um, apparently there's a list somewhere and I think there's something like seven or eight camel trainers trainers in the US. I got a call from Six Flags at one point out here in California when I was involved in the whole camel training and they wanted me to come out and work camels for a specific program they
0: had. That's weird Six Flags is roller coasters.
1: Right and they had something to do with this other business because at one point it was actually a Six Flags and Africa USA.
0: The one down in SoCal? Mm -hmm. I grew up going there.
1: Did you really? Okay, and I've never been. I've never been. But I don't remember Um. any
0: zoo animals being
1: there. Mmm, interesting.
0: But maybe.
1: Yeah, and maybe it was a separate park or something, I don't know. i had never been there, but actually the fellow that owned the Africa USA, he was honestly an inspiration for a lot of the animal training that I did because he'd written about training the movie animals and things like that. It was so inspirational.
0: Is there anything else within your trajectory that you want to talk about? Or if you want to talk about your podcast or kind of like your offerings that you um, offer now other than clinics?
1: Yeah, yeah, we could definitely talk about that. So part of being a clinician traveling down the road and at one point before COVID, I was on the road about 350 days of the year traveling and teaching. So there wasn't a whole lot of time to catch up with other of friends, right? And we would find out that each other were in a similar area. You know, it's like, oh, you know, Richard was here two weeks ago. It's like, well, why didn't I know that? You know, because we would have crossed paths and things <laughs> like that. And so I started just calling friends and connecting, you know, like we're all kind of terrible at doing when we do this because we're all so busy throughout the whole day and you get finished with a clinic and you're tired, you know? But I thought, well, geez. You know we could do these phone calls and the whole world could listen in on it and so that's how we started my podcast actually it was kind of a a selfish thing just to catch up with friends i started uh, talking about horses was what i call the podcast because it's just basically what we did i called friends and we talked about horses and thank goodness i've gotten a little better understanding of the technology because to start with it's terrible and i have got to apologize for anybody who actually watched the original ones because it was literally me talking on the phone to the webcam on my computer <laughs> and these conversations like some of them have been four hours long. And it was a video of you? It was a video of me sitting on the phone. sitting at a hotel desk talking on the phone. <laughs> like how boring that Hopefully would have to be to watch it. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, It's grown since then. Thank goodness I've learned how to use Zoom and things like that.
0: Cool. So is it still audio and video?
1: It is still audio and video and I still do them all live. We're able to broadcast it live so listeners have opportunities to to pump in questions and things like that because that can really change the way a conversation goes. It's why I love giving live (laughs) lectures. I go in with an idea of topics and talking points that I'd like to cover, but the lectures themselves are actually directed by who shows up and the questions that they ask. You know? cool. So I love that with the podcast idea. In fact, before starting that, there was about, uh, I think I'd mentioned, there was about two years where almost every day I answered a question on a live video, knowing that I was gonna need to get better at talking on video. And I refer to it as the almost daily Q&A. Uh, that
0: saves you a little bit.
1: I, Sorry, it gives me don't. some wiggle room, yeah. exactly. Yeah, if I needed an evening off. Um, but I would do that. I would, I would spend the day teaching and I would come back to my hotel, or on the way to the hotel, I would stop and sit at a park bench, or I would, you know, it it was always uh, different. I would do it from the front seat of the car, you know. It would be just, people would submit questions through email or through messages on social media or whatever, and I would just pull one question and I would answer it on the video, you know, on the fly. Wouldn't read it ahead of time. Would just, you know, pull it and answer it, which helped me to think on my feet, Right, helped me to get a lot more comfortable speaking to the camera, that sort of thing. Which, in today's age, for a lot of teachers in general whether they're horsemanship teachers or whether they're cooking teachers or whether they're golf teachers, doesn't really matter there's the necessity to have the ability to adapt. To the technology that we're working with, and I, I, wanted to make sure I didn't get left in the dust on that, you know. Uh, and technology is always something that I'm cautious of, so I'm always trying to learn to to improve with that. And it was it was a good thing that I did that because then I got I got asked to present a in hand work course online that has become the developing balance in hand course and it's I think that's the website for it developingbalanceinhand.com where I showed up and taught this in hand work and the gal that coordinated it, Kelly King she actually tried getting me to do that for like two or three years Oh, I really think you need to consider this. I think you need to think about it. Like, I struggle to teach this stuff in person. How are we going to teach it on a computer? Not only a computer, but now an app on your phone, too. It's like, oh my gosh, how do we do that? And finally, she just said, Look, you just come out here and you teach. We'll have the cameras, we'll do the thing, we'll help you put it together. We'll help it get put together. Like, they did all of it. And it was ama- like her vision on how to put it together was fantastic. So seeing how she orchestrated camera angles and different things like that was really inspiring. And she, she put the whole thing together. And then I would see students, some of the students early on would send videos for me to coach. And I had students going from never having done any work in hand before. And through the course of the program, they send me video clips to coach them schooling their off in hand. I'm like, holy cow, you can teach online. <laughs> That's me being late to the party, right? Like, of course you no, can. No, you can but, teach online. Well, yeah, you yeah. Can. I was able to teach online, yeah. yeah, exactly. But it's just more possible than I had realized, you know? I thought, yeah, you can, you can learn facts online. No, you can actually learn skills online, you know? So fast forward, I just this past Thanksgiving released a new online academy, Academy for Classical Horsemanship. And we've got lots of different video clips. We've been filming a lot of clinics that we've been doing and I've also filmed specific kind of how-to content. We've had a great, great response for that. So that's become more of a online coaching platform and community that uh, we've got monthly Q&As live through Zoom where all the members can come and ask their questions and we are each month we're focusing on a specific theme where here's what we're going to talk about first here's how you can apply it for the next month now let's talk about what all of you have been doing with your horses and how we can help you with that. It's kind of a Facebook like community but it's separate from all the other social media stuff it's its own platform so for folks that aren't on Facebook that don't want ads that don't want to see you know whatever pops up this is just a totally clean, pure platform for members of the Academy, so it's a, a lot of fun. And that's
0: like a subscription-based, do you pay monthly. It is, yeah, it's
1: a subscription-based. They cool. can apply for the whole year at one time or they can, you know, pay each month as they go. I have two membership levels for that. We've got the kind of basic or platinum membership, and that's, they get all of those things and access to all of that, but then I have a premier membership where they actually get monthly video coaching from me with their horses, the live virtual coaching. It's two lessons a month they get, so that's a, a very small restriction group because I want to make sure that I have time to commit to everybody and of course they also get access to everything else as well so it's been fun it's been a lot of fun so far and again me being afraid of technology and doing this entire thing myself figuring out how to manage all of it how to put it all together thank goodness there's platforms out there now that make it easier because if it wasn't for that I I wouldn't know how to do it and it's also an app on your phone now too so <laughs> <Yeah>. it's
0: <laughs> uh, and how do people find all of this information do you have one specific website that then they can find everything on
1: um, I definitely recommend people look on my social media pages on my Facebook page specifically Patrick King horsemanship but the Academy is Academy for classical horsemanship.com and then my primary website is just pkhorsemanship.com.
0: awesome cool Well, let's go into the question. So what is something within the community that you'd like to see evolve or change? And then how can you help with that change if you're not already?
1: Oh boy. Uh, The biggest thing that I think needs to evolve and change, and I will say that I'm grateful to be part of and seeing it change, it is growing for for the positive, is collaboration. Collaboration amongst professionals. The exchange of information between professionals is essential in something like horsemanship. As Charles de Confi would say, dressage is a living art and it is survived because of its practitioners. And I'm not just talking dressage, but horsemanship in general. You know, it is a living art. It is something that continues to grow, that continues to evolve, but it doesn't do so in a vacuum. Right, And there's a lot of individuals that we see that seem like silos, right? Like they have their information and there's nothing that gets exchanged amongst other professionals. I feel very fortunate that I've always been one to collaborate a lot. I mean, it's, it's part of my podcast, right? It's talking to other professionals and things like that. The collaboration to me is one of the most essential things that needs to happen for for the entire industry to grow.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I agree. Good answer. And yeah, I even I noticed that when I got here today and audited you mentioned Mm -hmm. somebody else and said, Oh, this person has, you know, some training or something that you can look up and do. And I think yeah, I think it's very beneficial when if something isn't necessarily a something you offer, B something that's in your wheelhouse Mm -hmm. to then be able to be like, oh, I don't offer this, but this person does.
1: Absolutely. What What's that line? A rising tide floats all boats. Mm-hmm. Right, and that is so important. Right, like I, I am fortunate that I'm addicted to learning a lot about a lot of things, so I can talk to several different aspects of the horse and saddle fitting and farriery and dentistry and you know bodywork and you know roping off your dressage horse and all kinds of different things. Right, but. You can only specialize in so many things, right? So if you can connect with the specialists, you know, like if you've got a horse that needs a a fitness program developed, I'm gonna connect you with Jack Baloo because she's a genius with that stuff, you know? If you've got a horse that specifically has, you know, serious farrier issues, well, we've got contacts in there, right? So it's about, you know, what was the old uh, Rolodex? right mm-hmm. you remember those you keep yeah. people's business cards in it like to me it's all about keeping your rolodex full because there's so many individuals so many clinicians so many professionals that i call you know i'm like hey here's here's a challenge that that showed up at this clinic what would you do what do you think about that where you know where would you go? what would you look at yeah I, that to me i i don't know how anything can survive without that
0: yeah community you know?
1: For sure. Yeah, the community. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I love that. So one last question. You get to ask me one question and you know nothing about me. So is there something you would like to ask me as a fellow podcaster?
1: Oh boy! Okay, (laughs) so this is my favorite question for all the podcasts that I do. If you had a giant billboard to put any message you wanted on it and the whole world sees it, what would that message be?
0: That's intimidating and the whole
1: world the obsessed. whole world the whole world everybody
0: the only quote that i like live my life but i guess i would put so my friend's dad <laughs> i knew something would come to my mind there we go i've said this in a few other podcasts of mine my friend's dad who unfortunately passed away if he would say life is made up of inches and seconds And I strongly believe Mm -hmm. that, like who we're introduced to, when we're introduced to them, the experiences we have, if we sit in traffic for five minutes, but if we left five minutes before you would have been in this crazy accident, Mm -hmm. little things like that. So I think I would put life is made up of inches and seconds and then put that it was by Michael Simbert, my best friend's dad. That's awesome. I think that's yeah, because I I strongly believe that every single thing in this world happens for a reason, whether positive or negative. What would you put? Can I ask you that question? Do you have an answer?
1: Absolutely. Before words. Slower, softer, wait, and breathe. I tell riders all the time, those are the four keys to in-hand work. Those are the four keys to good horsemanship. And life. And life.
0: Yeah. I feel like with driving, if you just slow down, not not even physically slow down, but like
1: mm-hmm. slow
0: down your thought process. Yeah. Yeah. Breathe. That's a huge one. Yeah. If a billboard just said breathe, that's also a good one <laughs> right. word. Like breathe. <laughs> breathe. Yeah. yeah,
1: It's a series of billboards. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Oh. I just recently did a podcast with a friend of mine, Bettina Drummond. And when I asked her that question, I loved her response. It was, be aware, and be bold with it.
0: Mm. Like be confident in your awareness. Yeah. I like Yeah. That.
1: It's like man, we need T-shirts. Yeah. You know, like
0: <laughs> get a billboard and a T-shirt. And a T-shirt you to that for you for go build your life. This is what it needs to say. I love that. That's,
1: That's a, a really good question. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have a lot of fun with that. It, it's It's so interesting because you ask people in these podcasts and, and there's so much that you get on this train of, of thought and, and inspiration and things flow, right? And then you ask that.
0: My mind was completely blank. I was like, shit, <laughs> <laughs> my billboard yeah. is blank, oh God. Cool, well thank you so much for chatting with me. This Absolutely. was Absolutely,
1: thank you, thank you. This was thank a lot you. of fun.
0: Hey again, and thanks for tuning in to Stable Connections, the podcast. This is your host, Shauna Burke. And if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, don't forget to tune in every Monday morning for a new episode. Follow along on Instagram and Facebook. And if you or someone you know wants to become a sponsor of an episode, please email stableconnections.sb at gmail.com. See you next week.